Hey guys, welcome to the Fieldcraft Survival Podcast. My name is Kevin Estella. I'm the director of training, survival instructor, writer, little jack of all trades here at Fieldcraft. And I just want to take a moment to recognize our sponsors. They're the folks who allow us to provide this content to you free of charge, and they happen to be some pretty awesome dudes. So the first company I want to talk about is Triarch. Uh, Triarch is one of these companies that takes existing firearms and they make everything better. Um, I know Mike Lover likes his Tri-11. Um, I've seen their their Glock pistols and their rifles and you know they're on the short list of things that I wanna buy. Triarch does everything from uh, custom finishes to trigger jobs to custom builds. There's actually a function where you can build your firearm from the ground up through their website. So if you decide to do that, if you use the coupon code FIELDCRAFT, it will get you 5% off of your build. So please check them out. That's Triarch Systems. Another company that is making today's podcast possible is Casey Highlights. If you do any type of overlanding or off-roading, something that you cannot have enough of is light, especially if you go to these distant places where there's not a lot of ambient light, where there's not a lot of light pollution, it gets dark. And the Casey highlights are really, really the, the industry standard for off-road lighting. If you use the code FIELDCRAFT, you can get Casey highlights for 10% off. So please check them out and uh, light up the night. Today on the podcast, I've got a really special guest. She is someone who we are probably going to have participate in more of the programs that we offer and provide content to us. This guest is someone who I respect, I admire. Um, I think she's absolutely incredible, and she is even more deadly. If you give her a hunting rifle, chances are she's going to put food on the table. So that guest is Miss Caitlin Lowe's. Caitlin is a horseback hunter. She is an ambassador for multiple companies. She's someone who doesn't just stand next to a rifle at a booth. She can tell you how to disassemble that rifle and probably shoot it better than most people. Uh, Caitlin's the real deal. And like I said, she's she earned our respect, and we look forward to, to having her on board uh, with Fieldcraft Survival in the days to come. So uh, in this podcast, we have a great chance to sit down and talk. I mean, Caitlin and I, we... You know, we had an opportunity to, to hang out a bunch, and I think you are going to realize how valuable of an asset she is because of the wealth of knowledge that she brings, as well as all the experience that she has. And uh, I think you're going to enjoy this podcast. So give it a listen. Here we go. Kevin Estella with Caitlin Lowe's. Media over the past few months. And the most obvious thing about you is that you have a very unique way of hunting. Do you want to tell I us do. All about that? Yes. I love to hunt off my horse. I love riding. I love hunting. And I was just out at my grandfather's place and just kind of had a light bulb moment that I could do both together. And that's a very rare thing because most people can do one or the other, but joining together is just completely different. It's just something I've fell into and have been able to be pretty successful with. Okay. So. I'm not going to let you off the hook that easy. When you say you just <laughs> fell into hunting, yes. how did that happen? 
Uh, like I know you mentioned your grandfather, World War II veteran, still alive, right? Yes, he's 90, close to 95. God I think he just turned him. 95. Oh my gosh. And I know. He, you said he served in Peleliu? Yes. Right, which yes. if you're not a World War II, you know, you know, uh, kind of follower, historian, you know, if it doesn't pique your interest, Peleliu was a very, very crazy military battle. Uh, the Japanese actually used the volcanic island as like a natural fortress. And it, it didn't just take place over a couple of days. This is weeks long. So, I mean, I can only imagine the stories that that guy has. Mm-hmm. Um, have you had a chance to do like an oral history with him? Like just record him talking about it or? We've done some before in the past. I know our family's got it recorded somewhere. He's very much the type though that just doesn't really want to talk about a sure. lot of it. I think at some point I'll probably be able to get him to. Um, just for whatever reason, we are, we relate a lot, and he seems to share a lot more in-depth stuff with me when I pry for questions. But he remembers a lot of the good things, you know. But I think that generation is probably the best generation that will ever live. Yeah, really, I mean, they were know? called the greatest generation for a reason. Exactly, um, exactly. So you know, I know some stories. Yeah, and, and I, I have the greatest respect for that generation. I always say, you know, I'm half Filipino, half Polish, and I always say that if it weren't for the military forces that – took Adolf Hitler from power, my Polish relatives would probably not be here today. And if it weren't for the military forces that took Hirohito out of power, my Filipino relatives would probably still be under Japanese rule. Mm-hmm. So uh, please extend a, a thank you to him because that's that's just so cool. I will. Um, and if I ever get a chance, I know we talked about possibly doing a, a hog hunt or a deer hunt to shake his hand. I absolutely will. Awesome. I will definitely keep that in mind. I'm sure he would love that. Now, he came back from World War II. And I remember you saying that he purchased a farm. So he purchased a farm, and then that farm, you said, is in western Texas. Mm -hmm. And tell us about it. Um, It's west of the DFW Metroplex. I don't want to give specifics of exactly where it is, but uh, they've had that since about the 50s, late 50s, early 60s. -hmm. And he had partnered with a couple other guys um, all together after the war, obviously. Um, And there's a small cabin up there that's been there since then. And, you know, it's got a wood-burning stove. I think we finally put a window unit in it just because it gets so hot in Texas. But uh, I have so many memories of him getting up before the rest of us, making us all coffee, and he hops out on his four-wheeler and goes to his stand and I I think I only remember him missing a deer one time of all the years that I went really? out there uh-huh and he just said he you know had jumped the gun too quick but I mean next shot drops him every time you know and cleans him before we can get out there um but yeah so you know being the only girl really in the family that was interested in stuff like that I think a lot of it started when I was young you know playing on our farm and stuff that we have mm-hmm. in the middle of the metroplex um so I love the outdoors just in general and then I'd go with my brother and my dad go fishing and kind of watch what they did until I finally was like yeah I, I want to do this you know and uh, was very lucky to be able to get taught by my grandfather my dad and my brother and you know it was one of those things that you shoot a deer and that's your meat for the rest of the year you know right and right. you know we can get more managing and conservation and stuff you know later in the in the conversation but it was just a good way to get out and and learn and do something different and take my horse out there and hang out with the guys and you know it's I don't know it's it's been very I've been very lucky and now the rifle that you carry to this day was your grandfather's, Yes. Right? Was that a 7400 or 7600? I think it's a 7400 series. Okay. Uh-huh. Semi-auto 270. That's my absolute go-to. I love that rifle. Yeah, 270 over the years, it's it's a caliber that, you know, it gets kind of overshadowed by so many others. But for Western hunting, it's such a flat shooting round. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've seen some of the photos of what you've taken with that. So there's no doubt that 
I'm sure a lot of it is shot placement. I I know that you've worked with Kevin Owens doing a couple of the long range classes and Kevin Owens in his Irish accent, which I'm not gonna offend anyone (laughs) Irish by trying to do an Irish accent because all my accents end up sounding exactly the same. But Kevin Owens said that uh, you were very, very successful at engaging targets 1400 yards plus shooting from a tripod. Yes. Which, I mean, is is very realistic for a a hunter. so yeah, I know that you've got some capability, but you know that's a testament to the round, shot placement, all that great stuff. Um, so now growing up, you obviously got into hunting, but what's the, what's the draw for you? Like, I mean, obviously we can talk about it from a conservation perspective, you know, mm-hmm. managing land. We can talk about it uh, from a self-reliance perspective, uh, knowing where your food comes from, but like, what do you get out of it? A peace of mind. You know, you go out there and for me, because I am so busy day to day and through the week, it's just, it's like my restart, my refresh. I can just get away and, you know, I love everything about it, whether it's, you know, the small animals or the insects or the larger ones or it just, it's very spiritual in a sense. You know, I don't want to go too far down that road, but it's something that I feel like I can gauge, I can learn, I can be myself, and I can learn to appreciate stuff the way that I do, but then also bring it back and share it to others. And um, I don't know, I've started getting into photography too, um, with that too, to capture some of those moments. I wish I could be a little bit better about that, but it's just, I don't know, it's just something I feel like it's already ingrained in my soul and in my body. And the more I have time to get out there, the more I've discovered a lot of that. Mm-hmm. But it's, it's already a part of me before I even really realized it, I think. Yeah, and I know I know we always tell people, like, if you're going to go hunting or you're going to go hiking or fishing, like, you should never go alone, right? Because if something happens to you, you have to fall back on just yourself. Yes. Sorry, but, Grandpa. I do that more than I tell you. Why was that advice that he, <laughs> he always said, you don't need to go out there by yourself. And I'm like, well, you know what? If it's my time to go, I'm in a... a wonderful place you know but uh that's pretty funny you're you're right i mean it's much better to go you know in a buddy system especially out there but i've been out there so many times i mean i go out at night by myself Mm -hmm. and i know exactly where i am you know in the dark because i've just been out there so many times but you're not necessarily by by yourself or on your own because you have your horse right so now i want to talk about that because i think for anyone that's never been on a horse Sometimes they have a mind of their own. Actually, they always have a mind of their own. <laughs> but uh, they they can definitely throw a monkey wrench into the system here. So obviously you can provide cues to your horse, I'm sure verbally and physically. But are there any times where you feel like your horse just kind of has that intuition and just knows what you need it to do? Like maybe through training or just past experience? Like, Does it ever surprise you? Like, oh my God, my horse did this and I'd even tell it to. Yes. Yes. So, you know, one of the big things that I hunt from him is hogs. You know, they you can smell them. You can hear them. Um, he picks up on a lot of that stuff, especially if we're hunting at night, more so than I can physically see. Um, and my window is kind of from my, like, left side back. You know, that kind of, I guess, what is it? So you're shooting across your body. Yes, yes. I always, I try to always shoot to the left. That's where I'm most comfortable um, and not up towards his head. So I don't have to worry about where is his head in relation to the end of the barrel since I can't always see through the optic. But um, for instance, like one of the things that comes to my mind first um, when I was hunting at a different ranch out in West Texas, um, we were going down kind of this ravine to a water tank and they were all over the place. I could hear one to my left. I could see him across the way. And he's, you know, I watch his ears. He is really gearing up to where, you know, he's 
in a good position for himself, but then he's also telling me with his body language, like what he sees too. So we, um, I ended up shooting one across the tank. I hit it, but it didn't go down and then they all scattered. And so we took off after, you know, the big group and there was one I had my eye on uh, specifically. And one of the groups kind of ran to the right, the other went to the left and I knew this guy went to the left. And I'm sitting here waiting because we were in this like shinnery bush. Um, and I finally see it and the horse sees him and he's, you know, 60, 70 yards out and my horse ears, you know, up, he knew that's kind of where we were going mm -hmm. and he sped up. I didn't even have to tell him, like he completely locked in on him and I've been on him so many times, like when we're around those scenarios, I think he just knows that's, that's what we're doing. And I didn't even have to tell him, you know, he sped up, we got close enough and ended up getting him with a pistol, um, which was pretty cool. But, but yes, he, he definitely you know, tells me, you know, for instance, like if we're going in heavy grass that has um, unsolid ground or, you know, has water running through, but you can't see it, somehow he senses and he knows that's not a good spot to cross. And so he'll keep to the right. And I fight him sometimes. I don't always win on it, but uh, he, he knows. He's very smart. We're very in tune. We spend so much time together that it's just something that, we, you know, like we talked about earlier, you just have that intuition of each other, which is pretty cool. So you can almost say that he's getting into the the spirit of the hunt too. Right. Like so that's that's pretty awesome. I mean, right. I'm sure it beats the day to day of, you know, just staying in the stable and, and just waiting around. Yes. Uh, yes. That's pretty awesome. Uh your grandfather. I want to get back to this guy cuz he sounds like a total legend. Um and you told me that he told you not to go up by yourself. What other grandfatherly advice is there? Because we, we were just saying this earlier, how so much knowledge has been lost over the generations mm -hmm. and how you know people are so less self-reliant today and skills that used to be commonplace 100 years ago have now been replaced by convenience and accessories and things like that. What's say like a skill or two that you would say is like grandfatherly wisdom that he passed down? For that, oh my gosh, there's so many things. You can tell us all of them, by the way. Not to like, <laughs> it, it, like I, I said, a skill, but like, yes. what comes to mind? Like something like, if I did this, my grandfather would be upset, or if I did this, he'd be so proud. Like, what was that skill or skills or knowledge, nugget of information that he gave right. you? Right. To know weather, um, to know what natural things you can use for tools. Um, you know, always keep the fire going when you're in the cabin because it's harder to start it again once it's already gone out. Uh, stuff like that. Um, a big thing, you know, I t we talked about shooting the one deer for the year, um, and that was sufficient for where we are and the amount of land that that you know that there was. Um, he taught me, you know, where where's the best place to shoot the animal, um, to not let it suffer, to be the most effective. Um, how to track, you know, what to look for, um, what types of rifle, you know, are are better for hunting versus than what they had, you know, used for a different type of hunting or war and stuff like that. Um, fish, you know, do you hunt fish by the, the reeds in there? You know, look for snakes. That was one thing that every once in a while I'll get caught off guard by one I don't see. But um, just to be aware of your surroundings and to know, you know, how much time it takes if something happened to me you know there's not always good cell service out there so like what are some signals that you can you know, use or um you know buddy system if, if i'm going out there by myself i have check-in times whether it's with my parents you know or friends or whatever to let them know that i'm consistently there so it's not just you go out and you're in la la land right, you know you're constantly right. having to be prepared so i guess in a sense it is some of the preparedness 
Um, yeah, I think I think a lot of what you just touched upon is they're universal concepts, right? Mm -hmm. Like you have that communications window, right. and you say, "Listen, if I and maybe people have never put those words to the practice, but." I'm sure there are parents that are listening or kids that are listening that have had a communication before or a discussion before with someone where they said, hey, I'm gonna call you by 11 o'clock, right? Or for anyone that's listening that's probably still in high school and you probably have a curfew, I'm sure there's a kid that says, well, if you're gonna be out past 12 o'clock, call me, mm -hmm. you know, that type of thing. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, it sounds just like good old school advice that's still relevant to this day. Um, you bring up something that I'm curious about, you said, about the snakes. Yes. Now, I know there's a lot of expressions about Texas, maybe not as many about like crazy people from Florida, um, <laughs> but in Texas, you know, everything's bigger in Texas. What's the snake that you have to worry about there? Is the it just? Rattlesnake. I'd say rattlesnake and water moccasins. And does your horse ever spook from them? We haven't come across enough of them, I think, for it to really be an issue. Um, if anything, it's when I'm down by the tanks fishing. Like I had one one time I was on him and I'm seeing, you know, something in the water. I mean, it's coming right at me. And I know it's a water moccasin because those can be sometimes aggressive. And I was on a bareback and I had a pistol with me and I'm like, oh, geez, you know, of course, I probably should have just gone the other way. But uh, me, I ended up shooting it in the water um, when I was on a bareback. <laughs> Thank goodness I didn't fall off. But uh, yeah, it's he, he did get kind of kind of wary, but the last thing I wanted to do was be around there and lose sight of where that thing was. So it was more on my protection of it in a sense. But you do have to be pretty careful and, and, and look because, you know, for one thing, like the rattlesnakes, they blend into their environment, right? Like that's mm -hmm. what they're designed to do. That's their nature's camo. So you really have to stop and educate yourself on what to look for and you know what's different in the rocks even though when you just glance you may not see them so i guess honing in on specific things like that is something that he's really taught me yeah i think I, I think snakes for a lot of listeners uh people are going to say, oh my God, I'm terrified of snakes. And I know of some people who have been bitten by highly venomous mm -hmm. snakes, but sometimes snakes will do what's called a dry bite. Have you ever heard of that before? Yes. Where it realizes it's not going to eat you. Mm -hmm. uh, it realizes that it's not going to waste its venom, and it, but it wants to let you know, like, you've already crossed that path. Mm -hmm. You should step back, right? So uh, I, I think as long as you have that awareness, as long as you understand like, okay, I'm in snake territory, I'm in their backyard. Mm -hmm. You can't you can't go to that backyard and not understand like, all right, they're probably gonna sun themselves during the day. You probably should should be careful what you step over, like the backside of a log or whatever, Absolutely. Right? things like that. Um, but I think, I think snakes, spiders, you know, we call them the wiggles, uh, <laughs> anything like that, that just freaks people out, so. Mm -hmm. um, I, I don't know. I, I, I love Texas. I think there's a lot of cool stuff in Texas, but you guys can keep the snakes. I'm, yes. <laughs> you know, I don't want one crawling up inside my, my shelter. That's um, funny. So we know, we know that you're the, do you prefer to be called the hunter, the huntress, the, the horseback hunter? What What's your official title? I don't know that I really have ever thought about that. I, I think guess. you should. The horseback uh, hunter, maybe. Horseback hunter. Okay. I don't know. Double H. Sure, yeah. that works. We were talking about your logo. Maybe you should go with that. <laughs> Maybe I should. Um, but let's talk about early Caitlin, right? Early Caitlin. So now you're a little girl. You're growing up in Texas. Um, and I know you've got an athletic background. So yes. talk us through like the early days. You got involved in volleyball. Were there any other sports or any other athletics? Like what drove you to, to compete? That's a very loaded question. I'll give you a little rundown of kind of my, I guess, background. But 
you know, grew up DFW area. Uh, my mom and dad had a small farm uh, in the Metroplex that we would have school kids come out. So I grew up on a little farm. Basically, everything's miniature um, except for the big horses that I have. But um, so that was something that I grew up, you know, outside doing. Um, between you know that and then playing sports uh, my dad is very athletic um, he played football at UTA um, when they had a football team and then his last year when he got his masters he threw the javelin and ended up going to the Olympic I guess route and trials no, and tore his arm uh, before he could get there but he I mean he's crazy athletic and so I think naturally you know I inherited that and my mom is too but uh, so going back and forth between you know the outdoorsy stuff and the animals and then to sports, um, I really focused a lot more on the sports growing up because we, you know, you look for a scholarship, right? We, I never really had a nice enough horse to be able to show to go that route, which is okay. I'm, I'm definitely happy with the way that things are now. Uh, but I did everything. You know, my brother's six eight, so he was somebody that I grew up, you know, playing, you know, ball with and trying to outrun. Most of the time, I could until it just one day it just didn't work out. Um, but I did cross country, I did track, I did, you know, field days and stuff. Um, and then I don't think I started playing volleyball until I was maybe in seventh grade. And I didn't really do club very much. Most of the girls did. Um, and then I ended up playing partway through college before I got into hygiene school. Um, so Now, when you ran track, yes. did you follow your father's lead and pursue the field events? Or I'm guessing you were probably either a hurdler or a high jumper. <laughs> no, I didn't really, really do a lot of the field stuff. I actually did a lot more of the running. Okay. My, mine uh, events were mainly like the 4 by 4 relay or the 800 or the mile. And I could outrun the boys to like 7th grade, 7th, 8th grade. the 800. It's horrible. Yeah. Uh, most people either go out too fast or they don't right. start their kick soon enough. Um, and for the people that are listening that aren't track nerds, uh, try running two laps around a high school trap. Uh, track, uh, and you'll realize how much the 800 sucks. Yes. Um, okay, so you, you almost can't prepare enough for it. Really it's like can't. pure adrenaline, but then also the determination and, and competitiveness, which I still have that competitiveness to this day. I don't think it's something that's ever gonna leave me. But that's funny you say that. Yeah, the 800s were not fun. Yeah, and if you run a short track, like an mm -hmm. indoor track, uh, you're not just doing two laps. You're probably doing four or six, um, probably four, and it just seems like it goes on forever, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. um, okay, so you you pursued track, volleyball, right? Yes. What was that decision like when you said, I'm walking away from volleyball? It was because, hard. I mean, obviously, like as a team, mm -hmm. you, you probably were very close with your teammates. How did you separate from that? Like, what was the deciding factor where you said, I've got to step away from this? Uh, it was a combination of things, I think coming to terms with reality. Like, I'm a pretty tall girl. How tall are you? Uh, probably 5'9", five, 5'10", five, without heels on. But I played volleyball um, in high school with two girls when I was a fresh freshman, sophomore that were like 6'4". And I mean, now that's normal. And I just knew I was not good enough to be professional. I had always loved teeth for some reason. You know, at first I was thinking, well, maybe I want to be an equine vet you know, or maybe you want to be an orthodontist or something like that. And then the hygienist stuff came up. But uh, when I got accepted to hygiene school, I was like, okay, you just, you have that intuition where you know this is the route that you need to go. Um, and it's something that I wanted to do because I'm very self-sufficient. I don't have to depend on anybody for finances. I set my own schedule. I've got great pay. And it just kind of was at that point in my life where, all right, you know, you got to start growing up at some point and that's what worked out. So I think 
Teeth are, are highly underrated in the great outdoors. We forget that we have them until we mm -hmm. have a problem with them. Exactly. Um, two years ago, I was in Alaska, and one of my very good friends, he was actually on the trailer, the Overland trailer walkthrough that we put on, on social media for Fieldcraft. Uh, he lost a crown, and the crown mm -hmm. was one of his front incisor, or what is it, not the incisor, what's the one right in the front? So you've got your centrals and laterals. Okay, and then so it was his central. Cuspids. And he was oh, so self-conscious of it. I'll show you a photo later on, and maybe we can incorporate a photo, or I'll just post it up when this drops, and we'll, we'll laugh at Justin. <laughs> but we were in Alaska, and he's like, man, i got to find a local dentist, because he's like, number one, it's painful. Like, everything was exposed. Mm -hmm. Number two, just self-consciousness. Like, he, he's like, I don't like people looking at me. Like, he was covering his mouth when he was speaking, because, I mean, your smile says a lot about you. Mm -hmm. um, so... I think that's something that, that people need to realize is like, you need to protect your teeth. Um, you don't realize how important they are until you start losing them. Like certain people I know, elderly people, they talk about how, uh, you know, when you lose your teeth, it's it's almost like a blow to your morale. Like it, it feels right. like you're falling apart. Very much in the aesthetic zone. Right. Yes. Um, what do you recommend for, I don't know if you even have a recommendation, but I'm just curious. Uh, what do you recommend for like a backcountry first aid kit for the teeth? Oh, gosh. I told you I was going to hit you with some hard that, That's something I guess I haven't really thought about. Um, I think one of the most important things you can do is manually try to get rid of that bacteria or the plaque. So even if you just bring a dry toothbrush, you know, you're, you're removing the pathogens and things that can cause harm, right? And you can pack a toothbrush pretty easily. They're pretty slim. Um, so that's a that's a big thing. And obviously, if you can do floss, come on, y'all. You know, you need floss. And there's a lot of uses but, for floss in the, in the woods. Right, I mean, yes. And you could use that for other things. Exactly. Um, but as far as like an emergency thing, that emergency thing that's, that's kind of hard because we use x-rays, but also cl a clinical exam to really determine what the source of treatment is. You know, if you get an abscess while you're in the middle of the woods, that's, you know, that's pretty hard. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I'd say if you can drain it, you know, because sometimes you'll get what's, <laughs> this is might be T, TMI, Do it. A, a fistula where, you know, you can get pus and can get that infection. And the worst thing you can do is just let it fester so much to where it causes even more problems. But preventive, if I, if I can stress that enough, just be preventive. Be, God, I'm hungry now. <laughs> I know. Isn't that That's just so, like so very appealing. appetizing? Thank you. But be, be you know, if you're going to plan on going in the woods for a certain amount of time, just be preventive, get it checked out, make sure there's no issues or more problems. Mm -hmm. You know, antibiotics sometimes will help too if you have issues like that. So maybe bring something like that with you if, if you can get a doctor to prescribe it. But you really do need to have an exam to really determine, you know, what you're looking for. And, and unfortunately, sometimes things just don't turn out yeah. well. So brush and floss. Yes. Like who, I mean, whoever Maintenance. came up with that idea, right? I don't know. Um, now, what about if you lose a tooth? Like, do you have any recommendations? Like, if someone loses a tooth, mm -hmm. your horse bucks. Uh, you know, you said you almost were knocked out with your horse. We were talking about this before. <laughs> right. Your horse's head. Um, or you trip and fall or mm -hmm. someone elbows you by accident. You take a paddle to the face, whatever it may be. You mm -hmm. lose a tooth. What's your course of action? My first thought is just get to the dentist as quick as you can. You know, at least get an x-ray of it and see how many teeth are affected. Because the worst thing you can do is just, you know, let it go and and develop even more abscess because the abscess can not only stick to one tooth, but it can affect a lot of the roots from there. I mean, if they're so mobile that they have to come out, then that's just part of it. So but. it's kind of like a string of Christmas lights then where like if one light goes out, it could affect the whole If there's spring. enough trauma in the area, wow. yes. 
Who would have yes. thought like you, you lose one tooth and then you lose what, like a whole row of them or, or two or three, like that would be terrible. I mean, and that's like kind of a worst case scenario yeah. thing. Like typically when people do have infections, it's, it's not like that. It's like a single one, you know, um, you know, and that can either happen from trauma or you, they get fractures, you know, or if they have cavities that they don't get filled, then that can, you know, proceed into even more, more areas. So that that's, there's a lot of things I could go into, sure, you know, sure. with that aspect of it, but immediate trauma, you know, when you're in the woods like that, sometimes that's just the best that you can do. You know, you just make, make do with what you have. So, yeah. And know when to call, call it a day, right? Like mm -hmm. it's easy to soldier on to say like, Hey, I'm just going to tough it out. You know, I'll put my tooth in my pocket, that type of thing. Mm -hmm. But you can always go back and get that animal. You can always go back and hike that trail. Like go get help, right? Mm -hmm. Like maybe mm -hmm. keep your, maybe keep your dentist on standby, like in your, in your phone and right. Like, here's an example I could give you maybe to make it a little bit more relatable, right? So, you know, a patient comes in, they're having an issue with the tooth, it hurts. The main thing is if it's really hot and cold sensitive, the hot's not a good good thing. If it's really pressure, every time you chew, it hurts. You know, you could be at early stages to where if we do take an x-ray, you may not exactly be able to tell where that abscess is or like the underlying issue. And sometimes, you know, as a preventive thing, we will... I, not me, because I technically can't prescribe antibiotics, but the doctor will prescribe that just to kind of help get you by for a certain amount of time. And then you get back in the office and then you readdress it. So I guess being aware of what could happen makes for a much better outcome when you are in a remote area. Wow. Yeah, I, I never want to lose a tooth like that. Um, I know I've heard good friends who have been in like firearms training classes where, you know, they're they go through a doorway or whatever, and the role player jams their weapon up into their face, and the rear sight takes off their tooth, like mm -hmm. on a rifle. Uh, or like my buddy Justin, he lost his tooth in Alaska. I, I just think for something that we we need and we tend to forget about, like it it, it would be so traumatizing, like a morale destroyer, to have a tooth injury, a cracked tooth, uh, a lost tooth. I mean, anything like that, I think, would be terrible in like a long-term emergency scenario. Yes. When you um, don't realize a small aspect of your body could hurt that much or cause that much pain. It's challenging. Have you seen Castaway? I have. It's been a long time. Yeah. Do you remember how mm -hmm. he removes his tooth? Vaguely. He takes an me. ice skate and he puts it against his tooth and he hits the other side with a rock. Ugh. Do you recommend that? That just gives me chills. No. No? Okay. <laughs> I mean, when you're in that scenario, you just got to do what you got to do. Yeah. You know. It was pretty graphic. So. I mean, Tom Hanks, uh, interesting story about that movie. The guys from the Boulder Outdoor Survival School were the tech advisors for that movie. Um, and there's a great scene in there where he gets fire, right? And he makes fire. He has this huge celebration, which if you've never done a friction fire, you will be Tom Hanks. Like, it's going <laughs> to happen. But then when he gets home uh, and he's in his hotel room and he's just laying on the floor, you... you one of the most beautiful things about that movie, my favorite part of that movie, is that it shows that dualism. Like you can live very rough and you can you can make it, but then you go back to a very comfortable life and you might choose to live the rough life. And he's sleeping on the floor, then he's turning the light on and light off, something that he couldn't control. And there's one scene where he walks by like the, the whole buffet of food and he picks up the, the lighter and he's like, Oh, fire, you know? And mm -hmm. People wonder why I carry a lighter every day, and it's that scene right there. It's huh. having made friction fires uh, and having taught it for years. I'm proficient with it. I rarely like using the term expert. Um, I'm very proficient with it. But even having a high level of proficiency, 
I like the ease of doing something as simple as pulling a lighter out of my pocket and lighting it. Um, but yeah, I don't recommend either that uh, you use an ice skate to remove your tooth. <laughs> and that's kind of a funny thing to be in the wilderness and you just have an ice skate. Remember, he worked for FedEx. All those uh-huh. things were coming up in the... That's right. They were, were, were coming up. Uh, that's pretty funny. So now, you were talking about your job, and before we came to the studio today, you mentioned there was an encounter um, that you've had. Like, obviously, being a female, mm-hmm. um, females get targeted across the country. We all know this. It's, you know, there are predators and prey out there, and the predators out there, they love preying on perceived uh, individuals that they feel like they could have an easy victim. But right. you, I mean, knowing you, you're not a, a soft target. You're a hard target. I know that yes. you've got something in your purse right now that was gifted to you or you're borrowing from Kevin Owens. We don't need to go into detail. Yes. But I think the story that you told me is one that we need to bring up. Um, and I think it was at uh, either a park or a gym or something like that. I'll let you tell the whole story, but the, the one for one story. Yes. So I was going to work out for the day um, at a personal training place and I park um, a few rows kind of away from the front door. And as I parked, this truck out of nowhere comes and is kind of like diagonal to where I am. There's maybe one space in between us. And they're facing an exit. There was two areas where you could drive into this parking lot. And you could tell that they were strategically, you know, looking for their escape. Well, I go to get out of my car, and it's a, it's a nice car. You know, it's, it's something that would catch somebody's eye, I think. Um, and... and maybe perceive, you know, maybe there's somebody like this that's driving it or could be an easy target, right? right. So um, I opened the door and the guy on the passenger side, I could tell there was two in the vehicle, opens his door as well. I put one foot out, he put one foot out. I started to put one hand out, he kind of put one hand out on the door, so we were matching each other. And, you know, I had said earlier, I'm glad it was not my doctor's wife or his daughter because I'm so much more in tune with those kinds of situations just from what I've been in before and being around, you know, firearms and whatnot. I just kind of knew what to look for second nature, even though I know I wasn't really looking for it. Um, so I decided to get back in my vehicle, back out because there was a car to my right, a car straight in front of me, a light pole kind of to the front left. So there was no other escape, you know, and it just didn't feel right. So I backed out and a car left the right in front of the entrance of the gym and I parked there. Well, as soon as I started to back out, that car took off. That guy, you know, got back inside real fast because I think they realized that I was not going to let them do what they were wanting to do. You know, whether that was, you know, kidnap me or steal my purse or, you know, assault me. Like, you just don't know. And every hair on my body stood, stood up in that scenario and it was terrifying. Um, but, you know, that goes back to, oh, you know, you won't think something like that's going to happen to you or you won't ever be in a scenario like that. And it's, I mean, that's not the case. You know, you really have to teach, you know, others around you or, or, or bring that up so you're prepared for it. And I think that's a great lesson for people to, to hear because it brings up a, a, so many authentic teaching points, right? the normalcy bias Mm -hmm. this is totally normal this is how things are supposed to be we want to believe that where maybe we need to take a more critical perspective of the world and say like well wait a minute is this right you know question but verify um so maybe that's that's an important thing you brought up a great concept of they started mimicking you right like and they start acting like you because maybe they're doing this subconsciously maybe they're not realizing that they're doing this but 
they're paying so much attention to you that their body language is kind of automatically copying yours. Right. Um, when we were talking earlier, we talked about the one for one. And I'm sure you've met a lot of people when they give you a handshake. Have you ever met a person that when they shake your hand, they try to turn their hand? Yes. Right? This is one of my pet peeves. Um, if you ever, you were talking about the feral cats at your office. Do you know anyone with a cat at home that you could do this to? Like, a, Have you ever tried putting your finger on top of a cat's paw? And they immediately pull it out they and put it on top of you. immediately pull it off, right? It's yes. a dominance thing. Right. Um, so when someone tries to shake your hand and turn their hand on top, that drives me nuts. I will, I don't care how much force it takes, I'll turn my hand back to vertical. Have you ever met someone when they shake your hand, they shake your hand, they shake your hand, and they put two on one? Mm -hmm. I put two on one. Mm -hmm. And have you ever met someone when they shake your hand, they reach forward and they grab your forearm? Yes, that's awkward. <laughs> yeah, when, when they do that, I grab their shoulder. Mm. Um, so it's a one for one. Right. Um, and this is something one of my Brazilian Jiu Jitsu instructors taught me years ago. He's like, if you are letting someone take an advantage, then you're giving something up, right? You're, yes. There's never true. There should never be a one for one, like in your your case. And what you did is you you moved to a different space, and that kind of defeated his one for one, right? Like he was totally, or they were totally set to do what they were going to do. Um, but yeah, that's a that's a pet peeve of mine is when when people try to to match you and you know, or try to dominate you like that. So if anyone's listening and someone tries to shake your hand and put their hand on top, capping it or grabbing your forearm, don't grab their forearm, take it one step further, you know? Um, but now other lessons for that one, um, you immediately reported, right? You started that, that um, kind of reporting, hey, something's not right here. Right. Where I think a lot of people might let that go. And then next thing you know, there's a pattern of life that develops. Like, okay, Caitlin goes to the gym every single, I don't know, let's say Monday, Wednesday, Friday. Right. At 10 o'clock, you park in the same spot. So maybe that disrupted their understanding of your pattern of life. I think in order to be a good, hard target, you are very hard to read. Um, so I think there's a lot of lessons that can be learned from that brief encounter that you had. But... Uh, you know, hopefully those lessons aren't learned after the fact um, by someone who's in a very similar circumstance, but has a very different outcome because they didn't take the preventative actions that you did. Right. Exactly. Yeah. That, that, a story I'd heard, I guess, not too long after that, um, there was a girl in Dallas that, you know, from what I, I heard kind of through the grapevine, um, she was attacked and taken hostage and, you know, assaulted and basically you know, burn the car on fire. Like it, this stuff's real, you know, nobody wants to talk about it. Cause I don't want to think that, you know, it's going to affect them or be as, uh, prominent as it is, but it, it's in every neighborhood. It's in every, you know, area that you go to, you know, maybe sometimes more frequently than others, but it's definitely there. And in getting those real life, man, where I was, I was thankful because nothing happened, but I could have been in that scenario instead, you know? Yeah. And I think something that's really powerful is let's assume that everything goes south right your plan goes sideways you do end up at the mercy of someone else you can live the rest of your life calling yourself a victim which means that the power is taken away from you or you can say that you're a survivor you know i think survivor mm -hmm. is a stronger word but unfortunately i feel like it, 
the term victim is more acceptable than survivor. Because um, it's easier. It is easier. It's easier. It is easier. Um, so, I mean, God bless all those people out there that have been at the mercy of someone and they've decided to live their life as a survivor. Because then at that point, it's like, you know what? I understand that you did something to me, but that's all you did to me. Right. You know? Um, and I've read some accounts of people who have been incarcerated. And these are people who, whether wrongful or justified, they've lived behind bars. And they said the most powerful thing that they had to use against their captor was the idea that no matter what was done to them physically, no matter what was taken from them, comforts taken away from them or uh, torture done to them, there's something that the captor could never take, and that was their mind. Yes. And I always thought that was so powerful. I believe that. And every situation you get in can be an opportunity. It's whether you want to participate and take advantage of the opportunity. Right. And I think something that's also important to bring up, kind of tying in with this, and I'm sure your grandfather, and I'm sure your father, and I'm sure your brother, uh, very all, all large like men, by the way, right? Like you're, you said your brother's 6'8". He is. That is how tall? He's probably 6'4". Okay. So I'm sure they're very protective of their, their little girl. I'm sure they called you, right? Or Yes, they, they're very protective. Yeah. Um, but they're also hands-off because they used to cause me call me the Tasmanian devil or Taz when I was a little girl. That's new to me. I haven't heard that. Kay. I don't know why, but yes. I feel like we need to find out in a minute. Yes. Um, but yes, they are protective. If, they, if I need them, I mean, they are right there. So something, something that I think young women need to hear is in society, little girls are often taught, be polite, be nice. There's a great book out there. I've said it on multiple podcasts before, The Gift of Fear. And you're almost taught at a young age to allow certain things to happen to you, which it is absolutely okay to say no to someone. Yes. And no is a complete statement. Something that I always tell people is if you say no to someone who's a salesperson, and they keep pestering on, you should ask them, didn't I just say no? And it it startles people, it rattles them, yes. but they need to understand no means no. Um, I think it's really important that little girls, and, and boys too for this matter, there's a time to be polite. There's a time to be a, a gentleman, there's a time to be a lady, but you also should have the ability to be an absolute Tasmanian devil, or is that what they call it? <laughs> yes. So what is that yes. story? I, for some reason, have a feistiness to me, and I've had it since I was very young. I look at some of the videos, you know, my parents will show me that they've taken when I was young, and I, I see it. You can see it in my eyes. Um, I'm determined, you know, raising the animals I did growing up. Like, I think I could probably ride, you know, by myself when I was, you know, two and a half, three hundred miniature horses. and. I, I was not going to let them win, in a sense, and it's, you know, it's not necessarily being, you're being dominating, but it's like I'm not going to, I want to do this, I'm going to do this, you know, whether it takes me a year, whether it takes me ten years, like there's just a determination in there, and, um, you know, my brother, he is, gosh, he's so sweet, he's like one of the nicest people in the world. Um, I was always the one that like, you know, was a little more mischievous and, and got in trouble. And, you know, he could put his hand out and I would be swinging, you know, trying to get him as a kid, you know, not being able to reach. But uh, just the feistiness, you know, and, and the competitiveness. I've just, for whatever reason, had that early and somehow, you know, 
I just got that nickname. You know, I, my parents tell me a story of I was walking out to the barn um, right behind my dad, not looking, and he stopped. And I ran <laughs> right into him and fell backwards and, and got up and said, you, you big Dumbo, you know, like it was his fault. Mm -hmm. And uh, of course, they laugh about that kind of stuff. And, and it's funny to joke about now, but it, I think part of that really has shaped, you know, how successful I, I have been is because I just don't give up in a lot of things. And whatnot, but um, kind of going back, I know I kind of ventured off a little bit on that one, no, but no, no, keep going. <laughs> back to, you know, learning to set your boundaries and why are you setting your boundaries? Is it because of somebody else, of what you think somebody else wants or what you really want um, and learning to say no? It's hard. And that's something, you know, I think to an extent we all will struggle, you know, from time to time throughout, you know, different life stages, but you absolutely have to be confident in yourself and, and it's okay to say no. Is there any expectation that other people have had of you that you kind of put up the wall and said, no, not doing that? Yes. Yes, very much so. And, I, you know, call me stick in the mud or, you know, whatever you want to call me. But yes, you know, because if you say if you say yes or if you do participate, you know, those things could be short lived. But that memory is going to be there for a lot longer than the present or the good times. Mm -hmm. You know, you just don't don't really know. And now so. as a competitive person, what's your greatest accomplishment? Oh, my gosh. Sorry. I had to no. do that again. No, you're good. You're good. I think it sounds weird to say, but really figuring out who I am. Because my life has been interesting in the fact that, like, a couple of my friends call me a chameleon, right? Because I can go from, you know, all walks of life and relate to all sorts of people because I'll it put in my mind of how am I going to communicate or come across or connect with something or somebody. Mm -hmm. um, and for me, that's important because that means, you know, networking, that means adventure. Um, and in looking within myself and being secure with myself and, you know, being the rough and tough outdoorsy girl, that's kind of tomboy, but then I can go, you know, to a fancy function and get dressed up and, and, I would say probably that, being very relatable in a lot of different scenarios, but yet still feel grounded in myself um, to where I can enjoy a lot of stuff. So now what's next? I mean, if we want to talk in terms of like the marksmanship world, like 25 meter target, 100 meter target, 1000 meter, like what are, your, <laughs> what are the immediate and mid range and long range goals that oh you've got gosh. in front of you? You know, I could say, you know, distance all Working day long. Working for field craft right. survival on a more regular basis. Yes, I would I love to do that. that. Okay, yes, ahead. Yes, um, that would be awesome. Um, I would like to start to fine tune my skills. Um, I've actually shot up to 2,000 yards. Oh, Kevin yes. said it was 14. Well, that was off Kevin a tripod. Owens, come on, man. <laughs> no, no, so with Kevin, it was 1,400 yards off a tripod. That, which is really cool. Um, I have shot out to 2,000 yards, but I really want to focus in on more of the why, you know, why do I want to do this? Be um, that's not some, that's something I've done kind of recreationally and enjoyed it while I've been out there. But I want to be able to like pass that on and teach other people. And I'm just not as confident in that area um, for proficiency as I would like to. Um, I would definitely, you know, want to work in the outdoors more, be able to touch more um, people's minds and you know lives to to teach, you know, to pass along. Because my big thing is. 
you know, being with my grandfather, he's passed a lot of, you know, different things on to me, whether it's been a firearm or a tradition or whatnot. And that's something that I just, for some reason, have had a really big passion for. Um, and obviously, fieldcraft. <laughs> Y'all do touch a lot of people's lives uh, in a good way. And, and so that, that's probably something I really want to focus on next. So. Okay, so that's the immediate yes. long range. Long range, yes. Well, what's the long range goal? Oh, I don't know. To be determined. Know. To be determined. Well, I'll tell you, um, when you talk about teaching people, uh, passion exists in different domains. Um, something that's been said is that it exists in the head, the hearts, and the hands. And usually, if you get someone to do something physically, right, uh, it usually follows getting them to agree to it mentally. So you give someone the passion, like, hey, I really want to shoot a hog from a, a horse. Mm -hmm. And then you say, okay, here's how you're going to do it. And once you kind of facilitate them understanding why it's fun or understanding why it's beneficial and you get them to do it, then what naturally follows is that that passion exists not only in their, their head and their hands, but in their heart. Right. So it's like passion exists in, in three places. Education exists in three places. So I think you definitely have the, the capability of doing that. I mean, there's no doubt that you're passionate. You're, you're not just doing it as a hobby. You're doing it as a lifestyle. Um, Mm -hmm. But I know that you're not content with just hunting in Texas. And right. you talked about going back to Spain. Yes. Um, and we mentioned this yesterday in the car. Um, my last name, Estella, is from Mallorca, Spain. My, my great-grandfather came to the Philippines when he was 14 years old. And you were talking about Mallorca, and you were talking about how the, the hills in this area are very much like Spain, which they absolutely are. Um, but tell us about that future hunt. What's the hunt in your eyes? Oh my gosh. I would love to ride the horses in the mountains over there. Um, I have one Ibex, I have three left to do my Grand Slam out there, and that would be something that would be cool. Because you're just in a completely different territory, you know, than Texas, obviously. Um, you know, you're learning different cultures and their traditions and things, what to do, not to do, and just being in a different environment, it challenges you physically and mentally, you know, emotionally. Um, and I don't know, it's just, it's different, I guess. It would be, I never dreamed that I would be hunting internationally. Um, going to Spain was my first time to do that. Um, I've made so many lists of places and things that I wanna do. Um, obviously in the States, you know, I would love to start expanding and hunting more off Kodak. Um, to exotics and not just hogs um, but then also you know you look at like stags for one thing they're in so many different countries mm -hmm. that would be cool you know to have like a wall of those and say this one's from this area and see the differences and so for me it's so much more about the adventure um, and I'm very much a dreamer so I'm, I'm sure some interesting things will come out to play yeah I would in definitely my lifetime. say so I would but, definitely definitely say so you know so I know this podcast is going a little bit longer. Um, let's tell everyone where they can find you. Yes, uh, I have an Instagram. It's just my name, Caitlin Lowe's. Um, you know, maybe I'll have some more social media outlets to some extent, but uh, um, one place you can find me in Texas, and I was gonna touch on this, I just totally forgot, but um, we talk about like passing down the traditions. Um, so I'm a part of a company, or not company, but like an organization called Stewards of the Wild. Um, so there's the Texas Parks and Wildlife Department that does a lot of, um, I don't know, I guess, more functioning and managing conservation. Then there's a foundation that does a lot of like um, fundraising and whatnot. Well, this is kind of a, um, 
young professionals group we mm-hmm. catch a lot of those adult ages basically from like college to you know mid 40s or whatnot um, that really focuses on getting people outdoors and that's where a lot of my passion is too um, it it we we work with kids we do like happy hours talk about you know conservation and stuff like that so that's one place that you can find a lot of what i do um as well but i know that was kind of like a no no real quick but uh let it be known it's um, important you get the next generation involved right right? and that's their whole goal and a lot i don't think there's anything like that in any other state actually so i think we're kind of you know being a good model um for that but we not only you know want you to physically get involved but we also want you to look at like what other groups and organizations whether it's like you know something with quail or like a coastal conservation like whatever it is it's a good introduction to to find what you are passionate about and kind of help direct you to that type of um, category fantastic and and hopefully we're going to see more of caitlin uh in the fieldcraft survival classes that we have offered uh hopefully you'll provide some content for us in the future because i think your perspective your experience um you know it outshadows so many of the other hunters that are out there and your delivery is very good um so i think we're gonna absolutely incorporate you into the social media feed that we have as we are branching out and expanding more as a company uh definitely see a place for you here at fieldcraft i would love that that would be awesome awesome so any uh final words of advice for a launch i mean when i when i graduated from grad school uh the professor who kind of started the the ceremony said i'm going to provide a charge and a charge can either be seen as like an electrical current it can be seen as a physical run up a hill a charge can also be a challenge. So do you have any challenges that you want to extend to any of the listeners today? I think the why. I think you need to stop and sit and think through, you know, why am I making this, this decision? Is it for myself? And if it is, well, why is it really for for yourself? What are you getting out of it? You know, why why do you enjoy doing what you're doing? Um, that That's a big thing. You know, do your research, like we talked about. Take the time to actually sit down and, and focus on, you know, it may feel like it's it's pointless or you're wasting time, but you're really not because the more research that you do, the more wealth that you gain in knowledge and experience, which opens doors to so many other things. Um, and don't be afraid to be yourself. And I know that can sound kind of cliche. Um, I have gone to so many things and so many functions by myself. And, you know, it's it's luckily I'm not that shy. And that can be very hard for people, but you can make one connection in a room full of people that can change your life forever. So I would say really learn the why is, you know, your actions, your thoughts, and don't be afraid to go and do things by yourself. That's powerful. So Awesome. Well, Caitlin, thank you so much. Thanks for um, having me. Yeah, anytime. And uh, you're just a short flight away or two flights away. <laughs> and uh, we're hopefully going to see more of you in the future. So guys, I'm Kevin Estella with Fieldcraft Survival. Thank you so much for listening, and we'll see you next time. All right, guys, one more time. just want to give a quick update. We are using a new app called Stereo. Uh, It's every single Monday at 10 o'clock. We've got guests live on that app. And you can participate in the conversation by asking questions, and maybe we'll answer them. Uh, You can find the Stereo app on the Google Play Store or in the App Store. And it's another way for you to engage with us here at the Fieldcraft Survival Community. If you want, look for us. We're on the stereo app at Fieldcraft. Thanks for listening.